You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 419 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Brian Mariani. Brian, it is so great to talk to you again. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for asking. It's been, uh, gosh, it's been a super busy spring and kind of a spoiler alert. I know we're going to talk about some of this stuff, but just the demand has been incredible. And yeah, you you can't complain. It's also been busy personally. We've got both my boys have been playing baseball for their high schools on a freshman team and the varsity team. And my daughter's got her field hockey and whatnot and lacrosse going on. So it's been a mix of like running around to every sports field and then and then filling in the blanks, doing what we do every day, helping engineers and companies connect. So it's been very busy and I love it that way. I love that. Now, are you involved in coaching at all or have you become like a professional spectator? Professional spectator at this point. I was extremely involved all through like Little League and, you know, when they were younger. And I, I love it at that age. It's just the kids are so coachable and and they just speak their mind and all kinds of like funny stuff happens. But yeah, it was a blast. I was very fortunate with my co-founders at Atlantis and whatnot to really not ever miss a game, got to coach everything, very kind of family first oriented approach there and very grateful for that. So yeah, it was tons of coaching, lots of stuff to deal with when it comes to that and parents and the kids and stuff, but nothing that couldn't be figured out and solved. But yeah, now it's kind of get to sit back, let the kids have other coaches who do a great job and just kind of watch them grow and blossom. It's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. I love that. So my family has gotten really into deck hockey. Both my niece and nephew play. My brother-in-law is now the coach and my sister is like full on deck hockey mom to the point where like I go to these games. It's so fun. People are like super decked out in all the gear and whatnot. But I love the fact that they had to implement a policy that if a parent just like flips out, then the kid has to serve a penalty. And that even applies to me as the aunt. Like if I were to flip out and you know me, Brian, I'm pretty passionate. So like (laughs) it's the roller derby in me that like really wants to yell and stuff. And so it's been a lesson in decorum for sure. Oh, it's so funny you say that because my boys played deck hockey when they were younger. And my wife and I say that was the one sport we absolutely loved. And they got away from it when they got older and it got more physical and whatnot. But when they were younger, the one thing that stood out to your point back then was the parents like we would walk around we like people are so into this like people are hanging over the boards like slapping the boards like really into it and like these kids are in like second grade <laughs> but it's great like the passion for it was great it's nonstop action yeah highly recommend deck hockey it's a great sport totally well we had opened it up for listener questions and so i have some listener questions for you today and of course some of mine are mixed in there as well i'm not going to tell you which ones are mine brian but mm-hmm. I think the first question is, I think we're seeing a lot of news now that maybe some of the FANG companies are starting to do layoffs. Some of these bigger corporations are starting to do layoffs. And we knew how hot the market was just overall for hiring during the pandemic. So the question for you is, is the market cooling down for Rails hiring at all? The market has been incredibly hot for all tech, really, not even just Rails, obviously, you know, any languages, frameworks, all of engineering has been super hot. We've seen that, you know, with our agency business too. But for the Rails community specifically, it's very interesting. And I'm going to knock on wood here because we've all seen what's going on in the stock market and we know things can change super fast. We saw that back in 2007, 2008, obviously when COVID hit. But as of today, the demand is still super, super strong. Like we are uh, honestly as busy as we've ever been. In fact, 
five minutes before we hopped on this, I noticed in my email, I had a Calendly alert pop up from a company that's looking to hire two Rails engineers. And actually we track all these metrics. So all of my calls every week, I do keep tabs in a giant spreadsheet, how many developers I talk to, how many companies I talk to. And the company's line has continued to be very strong. And actually over the past four to five months has been the strongest it's been since we've been tracking it for the last like three or four years. So far, I don't want to jinx anything, but it is great. The demand is still super hot. I hope it maintains that. Like I said, can change quick as we've seen. But as of today, things are good. No worries there. Okay, good. So it's still a good idea, listeners, to learn Ruby on Rails. <laughs> That's the takeaway here. Yes, yes. Yep, no doubt. I would say if you want to be a little conservative about it, there are a couple of things to consider. I mean, I would say kind of parlaying into this question is what are the reasons that we might see people looking for new jobs? And that has been interesting. Just kind of dovetail this a little bit. For one, you know, I would say if you are just interested from a pure salary standpoint to test the market, now is the time <laughs> because who knows what next month or two months or three months, if something does happen, now's the time. Also, one thing I have seen is that a top reason, which I've heard before and you definitely hear, but it's usually kind of an ancillary reason people want to change jobs. It is far and away been like the top thing people talk about, you know, when I do ask them about their happiness level, which I know I've talked about on prior episodes, is their ability to grow as an engineer. That is something that is really taken center stage. And I love it because everyone's trying to be better versions of themselves and kind of grow their skill set. And I've just seen a lot of that as like a top reason. It's that and testing the market. Like people are just hearing about this hot market. I get a lot of requests about that. Just it's like pure curiosity. People just want to see like, is it that good? How do my skills stack up? I'd love to explore this. And then the other reason really is I need to get better. Like people just feel like maybe they've stagnated a little bit or they just want to grow their skill set. I hear things like, gosh, I'd love to be exposed to GraphQL. I'd love to actually do some React work. Like I just feel like I need to get better and surround myself with better engineers. I've just been hearing it a lot more over the past several months at least. And I take note of all that stuff, but just anecdotally, that's really jumped to the top of the list quite a bit. I wonder too, if a lot of engineers have picked up hobbies and they realize that they don't need to be spending all of their time in their free time trying to get better at programming. And so now they're looking for opportunities to find growth within their work. Do you think that's a possibility? I think it's a very much a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting trend. And I think you're right. I think it's just kind of COVID impacted a lot of this when it comes to free time and hobbies and whatnot. So yeah, you could be spot on about that. So I know that you do recruiting for both Rails and JavaScript, and I imagine that the worlds are just completely different. So I'm curious, Brian, how are the candidates and the companies any different when you're recruiting for those two? Yeah, I can remember a long time ago, especially in like the mid 2000s, every single client asked me only for full stack engineers. That's it. Had to be comfortable front to back. And that obviously changed. And especially over the past three or four years, I'd say there was no need to be full stack at all. And, and to this day, if you just really love to tackle hard back end problems, there's always going to be a place for you. If you just like to work dedicated to the front end, there will be a spot. Another trend I've seen has been a little bit of a return to it would be really nice if the developer had full stack skills or at least to some degree, it doesn't have to be equally comfortable between the two, but just the willingness to be exposed. Typically, it's, it's the front end. Typically, the chance to 
do some React work or just some JavaScript work in general alongside some of the Rails work. I've been getting that request a little more. It's definitely not a deal breaker if people still just love to do backend work, but that's come up a bit more. The other thing I would say is that while a lot of, uh, I just feel like a lot of my clients have a very mature attitude about skill set, And, you know, when it comes to like a backend Rails engineer, if someone is sort of a raw athlete, so to speak, just a good coder in general and, and somewhat agnostic, they'll definitely talk to you. But most clients do like to see someone who's currently using Rails, has that production level experiences. They're using it in their current job. With JavaScript, that's not the case. I think there's more of an attitude of JavaScript's JavaScript. If someone has used Angular in the past, they can figure out Vue. If they've used Vue, they can figure out React or just you can kind of interchange those parts. But if it's like a Rails React stack and someone's only done Vue, let's say, not a problem. Companies are very understanding about that. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But I, I just see a lot more flexibility when it comes to the front end roles. But there has been, I guess, if I had to pick one little bit of a trend between the two is just companies having it more on the sort of nice to have side if developers are comfortable front end and back end or at least being willing to work on the front end if you've been considering trying honey badger now is the time they have two really cool new features i just learned about they now have status pages and can monitor your ssl certs whether us east one is down or you forgot to add a configuration file everyone has an outage from time to time when your next outage occurs transparency is critical the difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is in how you communicate. They just shipped an update that can help communicate outages to your customers, public status pages with custom domains and branding. Many certificate authorities, such as Let's Encrypt, will automatically renew your SSL certificates for you. But if you manage your own certificates, you have to remember to renew them yourself. If you forget, your customers won't be able to access your website and Honey Badger will sound the alarm. Honey Badger Uptime Monitoring can now warn you before your SSL certificates expire so that you remember to update them before your customers are affected. Check out honeybadger.io to learn more. So on the JS front, is React just absolutely smashing it? Are you seeing anything around stimulus? I've been hearing more. I think with uh, Rails 7, like a lot of people are just very excited about where stimulus is going to go. I do have more clients that have it now as part of their their tech stack. React still is very much winning the day, but I, it would be very curious to see what like the next year holds and just how things evolve. Again, like stimulus is another spot where developers will say, gosh, I would love to use it. I'd love more exposure there. You know, when I was alluding earlier to growing the skill set. So yeah, it's coming on a little bit. I still like 90%, I would say of my clients are, are pretty react focused on the front end though. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Now, would you take it as a good sign if a potential client of yours was on the hiring without whiteboards list that I'll link up in the show notes? Yeah, I was looking at that and I think they did a good job of kind of differentiating that whiteboards aren't bad, as they say, but you know, these random computer science questions in an interview aren't anyone's favorite, that's for sure. So yeah, if they're on that list, that's likely a good thing. Whiteboards in general are typically a healthy exercise, but you know, asking someone to explain the complexity of a bubble sort algorithm isn't helping anyone. It's not helping us learn, you know, if they're a good coder or whatnot. So typically it's been a pairing session that I find is really beneficial. That and or a coding exercise is typically very helpful. I have had a decent amount of clients, I would say, that have moved away from any live coding 
at all in the interview process, which is kind of interesting. I really only had one client that did that and they were pretty successful with it and still are. I've probably talked about them before. They're called Doximity. They still maintain that, but I've seen some others. I probably have two or three now that do largely conversational interviews when it comes to evaluating tech skills. But yeah, by and large, I just feel like if you are on that list and whiteboards are not used or these random computer science questions are not used, it's very appreciated by developers because the more realistic you can get that interview process, the better for both sides. I completely agree. So as a follow-up question from that, where do you see the rules then for take-home assignments and when does it become free labor? Because I see this heavily debated a lot because I do like the idea of being able to look at a piece of code and to spend time on it. But are you somehow turning in working code that the company is secretly just trying to get from you? I think that's always been a fear there. Is there any rules that you see to help in this process? Yeah, there is a little bit of fear there. I do hear that from time to time from developers, just you know, making sure that they're not kind of working for free. And I think we can all agree that any work that's done in, a, in an interview to produce code or solve real problems that directly benefits a company is wrong. I mean, that really shouldn't happen. Or if you're going to do that, people should be compensated for it, clearly. But I'm happy to report, I don't really see that. I haven't. I know it exists and it's out there, certainly among our clients. I, I have had clients say that they will pay for people to invest that time. But again, I, I think almost every client I work with has a much more pragmatic approach to interviews where you do that pairing session or you get to just work on something realistic that you might not be solving something that is stumping the rest of their engineers and, and they want to get a free answer out of you, but it's something realistic that will give you a sense for the type of work that you'd be doing if you join that company. But more importantly, to get a sense for what it's like to code with your potential future coworkers. Totally agreed. I think it would actually be more difficult to figure out how a company that I'm not working for could pay me for an assignment than doing the actual assignment itself. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so there's been some rumblings, Brian. I don't have sources to point out yet, but various hacker news-like rumblings around longer pairing sessions and whiteboardings during interviews and how that could eventually, there could be a law change where you can't be doing things like that. So what could companies then do to be able to evaluate their candidates for a technical skill set? Yeah. For example, Mirror's parent company, Atlantis, the software agency I've spoken about, we don't do any pairing, any live coding of any kind. Our agency finds it much more useful to have technical conversations with the candidates. Also look at code samples. That's probably one of the top things that I continue to advise engineers on, especially because just some of my clients... If you have a coding sample, something that you've done in the past, that's you know not proprietary that you can share, or just something that you've built in your own time that is good representation of your skills, get it out there. You know, if you have a public repo that you can share, it really goes a long way. We invest a lot in that. We check out those code samples, but we do do a lot of conversational interviewing for sure. For example, we'll do like a system design chat. We'll talk about you know negotiating features, talk about some trade-offs, if you're going to spin up a new Rails app, something like that. I think what it really all comes down to though is time. And I do get this question a lot from employers and from the developers too. They want to know if I go through this interview process, like how much time do you think this is going to take? Because whether it's a coding exercise or a pairing session, I tend to find that somewhere in the two to three hour range for each of those works. And it, it tends to get good feedback. So if you assign a code exercise to someone, if it takes more than two to three hours for them to do, a lot of times people will do it, but 
you know, then I'll hear on the back end that, geez, you know, they said it was only going to take X and it took me a lot longer. It could be a kind of a rough start to the interview process. But if you can really button it down to two to three hours for a coding exercise and or a pairing session, that's the way to go. Because I just feel like it's an important investment to make time-wise for both sides. And that's really what it is, is a courtship. All interviewing is that courtship. It's a two-way street. I think sometimes engineers can feel like it's on them to make the time investment, but it's really both sides. And it always kind of stinks to have to put in the time, but when you do it and it works out, you know, it's not unlike clothes shopping, for example. It's like, uh, even if it's online clothes shopping, or even if you found yourself in a store trying something on in a dressing room or just having to sort through the website to find exactly what you want. When you get it, you try it on. If it does fit, it's a great feeling. <laughs> so it's it's worth all that time. But, you know, if it doesn't, yeah, that's important to know too. I mean, then you can easily make that return or just move on to the next company. So that's ultimately what it comes down to. I tend to find the more successful companies I have that do a pairing session or require a take home. It usually is around that two to three hour mark that leaves both sides feeling happy. It's just enough time to get to know some of the people that you'll be working with. And it doesn't feel like an all day session or that there was a cost otherwise to have to put in all this time because you may have to take time off from your job. There's that cost on the engineer side too that you have to kind of keep in mind. So I think that would be my advice. If I'm on the hiring side, try to keep it to that time limit. And if I'm interviewing as a developer, I tend to ask if that works for them. But usually it does. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. You point out something really important there, Brian, and it is that switching your job is a big deal. Your job is a significant part of your life. And so it's important that both the client and the candidate is taking it seriously. So should I be skeptical if a candidate is really lackadaisical about the entire hiring process? Well, yes. And that's the thing. It always kind of goes both ways. And as you know, I'm big on sharing feedback very transparently, both ways, developers and with the companies as they're talking to developers. Yeah, no, gosh, it has to be taken seriously on both ends. And it is funny, it just probably comes from experience, but over all the years, you can really get a vibe, at least being the sort of the middleman, it can really get a vibe even early on in the process and certainly midway, if it's going to be a match, if it's going to result in an offer. And it all comes down to the enthusiasm level, really on both sides. You know, you really can hear it. You just tell the difference when a candidate is very engaged. Number one thing has done their research, taken the time. I've talked to an increasing number of developers, I would say, that sometimes haven't taken a close enough look at a job description and whatnot, but I always go out of my way to prepare them and, and give them all the materials they need so that they're well-schooled up. And then oftentimes developers just do that on their own, especially if they find what the company's doing super interesting. But yeah, as an employer, you really have to sense that. You want to know that that engineer 
has a passion and interest, has done some homework and the, the same can be said on the engineer side too. Yeah. It's super important because like you said, it's a huge part of your life. The people that you're interviewing with are going to be a huge part of your life, a second family really. So even in that interview phase, like even though it's going to be multiple hours, it's well worth it because you're probably looking at somewhere between two to five years typically that, you know, you're going to be working with those folks every day. So when you look back on it, the four to six hours of interviews and pairing and whatnot seems like a drop in the bucket, but well worth it. Such good insights. Well, I want to wrap up the podcast with two quicker, fun questions. So Brian, is anyone flying anybody anywhere anymore? Yeah, good question. A couple things on that front that I'm starting to hear, which I do find interesting. I don't have anyone saying, I want to go back to the office every day. That's for sure. And no companies, although some bigger companies are requiring a lot more in person, as I'm hearing, and I'm hearing from some of the developers that some of those large, like very household names that are requiring that, which is kind of interesting. But, you know, some sort of hybrid approach could be good. I would say I do have a few clients saying they'd like to do like quarterly get togethers if they can just to maintain some sort of like in-person connection. So I've heard a little more of that. Still, the majority of companies are very much kind of set on we're fully remote. We are keeping our office in a lot of cases that we had before, just because there were a lot of people that lived right nearby that liked coming in, or they might not have a good work from home environment. So they've become hybrid companies where if you're local and you want to work in the office, you can come in as much or little as you like, but they've also made the full commitment to remote employees saying there's no need or requirement to ever be here if you don't want to. So things remain extremely flexible. One thing I have heard a little bit more from engineers though, which is kind of interesting, is if I could find them something that is local. They all are very clear to say they're not interested in going in every day, but they do like the idea of if it's once a week or even a couple of times a month, if they need to have a little FaceTime or just to have it with a few other people on the team, they find that appealing. So I've seen a little more of that, which is kind of cool. I think a lot of this still feels like the Wild West in terms of which way it's going to go. But definitively, I would say one thing I have heard is that for companies that are requiring like a lot more FaceTime in the office or even full-time back in the office, which has happened a little bit. I tend to hear from those developers who aren't quite ready for that yet or have just really grown accustomed to the remote lifestyle and would like to maintain it. Gotcha. Last question. So Brian, you're a technical recruiter who's become pretty fluent in technical terms. I am so curious, are you starting to have opinions about what candidates know and what clients are using? Do you get excited when a client tells you they're using Rails 7 and they're using Hotwire, do you scrunch your face when like a client tells you that they're on Rails 2? Do you get excited if they're using like a hot JS framework? I'm so curious, like how you react to things now. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'm always excited to hear that, you know, even new companies that are freshly funded just starting up are still choosing Rails for their platform, which is great. And I see plenty of it. The jobs out there that we recruit for are a mix of not only older legacy clients, but plenty of brand new net new clients that still choose Rails for its obvious speed and efficiency, which is great. But yeah, the other elements of the tech stack, the more diverse that can get, the better. Like that definitely excites a lot of engineers and anyone on the bleeding edge in terms of what the company does or specifically what tech they use is super appealing. And then I would say beyond that, the number one attraction, especially when it comes to like a job description, is appealing to the work-life balance piece of where we're all at these days. I have some pretty innovative companies that they do have their section of sort of technical requirements, but they are very big and almost leading off with they want to attract engineers that live great lives. 
and want to support your lifestyle and how you operate. And if you're someone that is trustworthy and accountable and can get their work done, the workday can look a little different. Obviously, if there are meetings and whatnot, you know, where stuff needs to get done and people need to be collaborating and online together, that needs to happen, of course. But in times where that doesn't need to happen and things can be either a little more asynchronous or just a lot more understanding of someone's work-life balance, I've just seen a lot more talk of that in job descriptions and it frankly gets a lot of bites. I love these insights so much. Brian, thank you so much for coming back and sharing all of these answers to these listener questions. It was so great. And we'll definitely have you again on soon. Awesome. Love it. Thanks for having me as always. You've been listening to the Rupee on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.